Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning. Open your Bibles to Luke 6, please. We'll be in Luke 6, verse 27 here in just a moment. Uh, a little, couple of pieces of family business. Uh, if you're visiting Christ Church today, my name is Mark, and I get to be on ministry staff here and grateful for that opportunity and glad you're with us today as we worship. Uh, next Sunday night at 5 o'clock begins our first Advent service, which will take place for four Sunday nights. Uh, it'll be different every Sunday night, but from 5 to 6 o'clock, we encourage you to come be a part of that. I know we talk about the busyness to add another thing to your busyness, but this is really a, a healthy uh, effective way of slowing things down and remembering what's most important. So we encourage you, if you can be here on Sunday nights, uh, some say they can't be here every week, and that's okay. There's a different theme each, each week. Come when you can, bring your family, be a nice family event and opportunity. So we encourage you to, to make plans to be a part of that. If you want information on it, go to our webpage, ccochurch.com, and there's several videos there, just short little three, five-minute videos that you can watch that will uh, answer some of your questions and help prepare Uh, for next Sunday night. Uh, Also, if you're visiting, we want you to know we are finishing up a series today called A Return on the Return. One year ago, we presented to our congregation, the elders of the church, uh, we got together with the ministry team, we began to look at some doors, as we call them, that were open to us that we felt we might want to take advantage of. Opportunities to plant a church in South Joplin, to to build uh, a new youth center, uh, across the parking lot, and, and to do some more missional engagement in India and Haiti and Japan. And so we had all of these ideas, and we felt like there were six sets of opportunities that we wanted to ask our church, would you support us in this? And, and last year, we presented all of those, and we talked about them, and we gave people an opportunity to pray through that. And this congregation uh, stood up and said, yes, we're, we're going to plan on giving more than we've ever given before so we can get these things done. We're entering into the second year of that two-year challenge, And so when you came in, there were cards uh, on the chairs either next to you or where you're seated that we're asking everyone to take an opportunity, we've been talking about it for weeks now, to fill those out. Uh, At the end of the sermon this morning, during our time of musical expression and singing, you can take those cards to the tables. There are two in these these aisles, there are two down front, and there are two over by the camera wells, and there's two toward the back when you leave. And we just ask that you would put those cards, after you've prayed through them and made your decision, For those of us who made a decision last year, uh, there's options on the card, and that is uh, on the right side, you can check that what we committed to give last year, we fully intend to be able to do. There are some, because life happens, there are some who have lost their jobs, they've had a downturn in their health, and they know that they're not going to be able to do what they wanted to be able to do, and so listen, with no shame, we just ask you to let us know that, that you would plan on giving X amount this year compared to what you committed to last year. And there are some of you that have joined us in the last year that uh, you've not been a part of that. You give to this church because you, this is your church home or, or you'd like to begin to give. You can fill out the left side of that card and simply put down what you would expect to be able to do over the next year. All we need this information for is to plan. Can we complete the projects we've begun? And can we begin to start some of the projects that we've waited to see uh, how the support would come in? And so we're going to collect those this Sunday and the next two Sundays and and close this all up on December 7th so that we can begin to make plans on the support of our congregation toward finishing these initiatives that we've started. 
And uh, we're excited about that. Just been praying that God will do what God wants to do so we can do the things he's asking us to do. In this series called The Return on the Return, uh, a year later, reminding ourselves where we've been, we've talked about some very important topics. First of all is what are we treasuring? The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart is. So every one of us treasures something over and above other things. What are we treasuring? What's the most important thing to us? Because that's what our heart will follow. And we're taught in scripture that we should treasure our soul and the souls of other people. That everything we have and everything we do, the end result should be that it it brings our soul closer to God and it draws other souls closer to God. Then in week two, we talked about uh, what are we trusting? Jesus came to bring us truth and the truth is in who he is and that truth sets people free. What are we doing to free people? What choices are we making to allow others to know Jesus the way He's been revealed to us. Last week, Scott Ensminger came and talked to us about what are we, uh, excuse me, what are we serving and how are we serving. And Scott brought a jar up here if you, were, if you were here, and it was full of pennies. And he said if you live to the average lifespan projected for you, that he calculated from his age, those pennies represented weeks and months and years of his life remaining. How would he spend those treasures? How would he serve his king with the remaining time he had? It's a great image of the choices we get to make. Today I want to talk to you about blessings, that not only does God ask us to be obedient, but there are blessings tied to our obedience. And so this is not to threaten. For those who are living by faith and understand how much you can trust God, I hope this is an encouragement. For those of you that want to take the next step of faith and you you want to know what that is and what that means, I hope I encourage you today. My intention is not to make anybody feel lesser, but to say, here is what the Word of God says How do we choose to respond to it? So we're going to look at several passages of Scripture. The first is in Luke chapter 6. I'd like to begin in verse 27. And as you're getting ready for that, I'd like to tell you that I believe the Bible teaches completely that our response toward other people determines God's response to us. That how we choose to respond to other people's needs is exactly how God will choose to respond to every one of us. As we explained that this morning, I hope that's an encouragement. Luke 6, 27. I'm going to be reading from the contemporary English version, which may be a bit different, not completely, but slightly different than the versions you normally read. I like the wording in it. But I say to you, Jesus says, to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whoever hits you on the cheek, offer him the other too. Whoever gives away or takes away your coat, do not withhold your shirt from him either. Give to everyone who asks of you, and whoever takes away what is yours, do not demand it back. Just as you want men to treat you, treat them in the same way. And if you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same thing. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive... What credit is that to you? For even sinners lend to sinners in order to receive back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be the sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. And do not pass judgment, and you will not be judged. And do not condemn, 
and you will not be condemned. Pardon, and you will be pardoned. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap for whatever measure you deal out to others. It will be dealt to you in return. Did you notice the if you, he will? If you, he will. If you don't, he won't. Now, we don't control God. But the good news this morning is God has this wonderful love for us that blesses us even when we do what we should have done from the beginning. Let me explain it this way. I've been blessed by God to live on this planet for 49 years. At the age of nine, I made a choice to start living differently. About seven years later, I started living differently. And every day of trying to do better and better and better at honoring my king. But if God decided that he was never going to bless me for the next 40 years to make up for all the times I've never been a blessing to him, that would be justice, wouldn't it? Now some of you are going, that's kind of me. No, I'm talking about me. You can agree. Would it be fair for God to say, I'm not going to bless you for 30 years to teach you how much I've blessed you already? That would be reasonable, I think. But my God doesn't do that. My God says, no, even when you should have obeyed and didn't, when you obey, there's a blessing. There's a gift. There's a kindness. There's a redemption. Our God isn't into keeping records, but he says there are some blessings in our lives we don't receive because we don't trust. So this whole series about returning to the return is to place our trust in, a, in someone who can be trusted. Because our response toward others, Jesus says, will determine God's response toward us. I like verse 38. It's one of my favorite verses because it takes me back to being a kid. I've shared this story before, but I'm unashamed to share it again because for me it's the heart of it. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. They will pour into your lap. For whatever measure you deal out to others, it will be dealt to you in return. We lived in, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, lived there until I went to college at the age of 18. My grandmother and grandfather, my mom's folks, lived uh, about three or four miles away from us. A good bike ride when I was mad. And I would go to their house. And I loved my grandfather and my grandmother very much. She was a very quiet, she carried herself with such poise and elegance. I loved my grandmother. My grandfather was this little Irish ornery man and I loved him as much. Well, we would go into their house and we'd have birthday dinners over there. We'd go to grandma and grandpa. uh, My grandma was awesome. You got to pick. Because we were boys, we didn't care for cake as much as pie. And my grandmother would make you your own pie for your birthday. And she'd make a pie for the rest of the family. But nothing was better than walking in and seeing an entire lemon meringue pie that I could eat and not be judged. It was phenomenal. (laughs) Well, we would go and they had a candy jar. I've brought this on stage in the past. It's one of the most precious items I possess. It's the milk glass candy jar that my grandparents used. But to get that lid off without that dinging noise made when the glass hit, which would send mom's sonar off. Because you know parents, they have candy in the house, but there's never a good time to eat it. And I would lift up the candy jar, and it would go, ting, and my mom would go, you don't need candy before dinner. And one time I was going in there. Brock's has these little hard lemon-shaped things, one of my favorite things in the world. And Grandpa always kept those in there because he knows he and I liked them. As sour as it could be. If if he would have lived when Sour Patch Kids were here, he would have bought stock. And I remember one time pulling up the candy jar lid, and it went, ting, and my mom went, Mark, we haven't had dinner yet. You don't need candy. And my grandfather, in one of the greatest acts of mercy ever, looked at his daughter and went, they're my grandchildren, they can have whatever they want. (laughs) And he beckoned his four grandsons into the Holy of Holies 
the, the cabinet where he kept the Brock's candy. And he took his little, not little hands, the hands that worked his entire life. He was a physical laborer. He was a, he was a brick mason. And he reached up in that candy and he pulled out the bags of Brock's candy. And he began to reach and give us handfuls. The, en- the entire time looking at his daughter like going, shh. And he gave me candy that had my pockets puffed out to here. And I just looked at my mom like, any questions really? <clears throat> this is what my grandfather did. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, pouring into your lap. I can't read that verse for the rest of my life and not think of that little Irishman and that night that he gave gifts to his grandkids. They didn't earn, we didn't deserve, but he gave them to us to be funny and because he loved us. He was generous. He was generous in weird ways, but he was generous. And this is what God says, I want to do for you, but first... You've got to trust me. You've got to make some choices about whether you trust me because if you trust me, there's a blessing on the other side of trust. So how do we develop this responsive lifestyle, I call it? This give and it will be given to you, pressed down, measured, pouring over. You have to commit yourself completely to the Lord. Now I'm going to have a tendency, I've done it all morning, I'm going to over-explain this because I think it's important to say what I'm about to say. It's the moment that I I have to say this for us to go forward. Committing yourself to Jesus in our country, in our culture, is so simple, it means nothing. At the age of 10, I went to church camp. I made a decision. At, At campus ministry, on the university campus, I came to know who Jesus was, and I chose to be a believer. I was raised in a Christian family, and this is what we did, and I made a choice based on what my mom and dad taught me, that this is a wise choice. And no matter where you made that choice, what happened after that? That's what commitment looks like. You can stand before a guy like me in a place like this and get married, and then live like you're not married and ruin two lives. What does it mean to be committed? What does it mean to not only say I choose Jesus, but live as if that choice has everyday significance? Paul was talking to the church of Corinth about some churches in Macedonia that had given, had committed themselves and surrendered themselves. He said, they gave according to their ability and beyond their ability. Now, me being the skeptic that I am, how do you give beyond your ability? Especially when there's no credit cards to borrow on your future. Back in that day, they couldn't go get credit. They either had it or they didn't. And Paul said, I'm amazed that they gave, and they gave beyond their ability to give. And then he explains it in verse 5. Because they first gave themselves to the Lord. That's how you give beyond your ability. Because it's not just about money or time or talents. It's about a commitment. You see, the word surrender defines discipleship. Maybe you like the word submission. When I hear the word surrender or submission, I know what that means because I had two older brothers who would often beat me up because I was mouthy. I know that stuns you. Pin me to the ground with their knees on my shoulders and make me say things like, Steve is the greatest human ever. Or I wish I were Steve. And I would say those things to get them off of me. And as soon as I was freed from my condition, I would run to my room, mouth off, lock the door so they couldn't get me. I had submitted to get out of my circumstances, but I was not in submission. 
Christianity is not begging for God when someone's kneeling on you to get you out of that, promising the world, and then running to your room and locking the door when your condition changes back to the way you like it. It's not Christianity. It's not submitting and crying uncle. Christianity, discipleship, is when you submit to Jesus because you can't imagine not. Let me re-explain it. My grandfather. On some Sundays... I might have overstated it last hour. It was probably once a quarter, once every other month, I would say to my grandma and grandpa in church, I always sat next to my grandpa because my mom was down in junior church and my dad was always up front serving, offering or communion or serving. And so we would sit with grandma and grandpa because grandpa always had candy. And every now and then I'd look at my grandma and say, can I come home with you today? It served two purposes. If I went home with them, I didn't have to go to Sunday night church. I'm not going to lie. And second of all, I loved hanging out with them. And I'd get my army guys or my little trucks that I kept at their house, and I'd be playing on the couch, and my grandpa would take one of his nine, he called them cat naps, the man was always asleep. But he'd wake up after one of his naps, and he'd go, come on, we're going to go work in the garage. He had a a workbench there where he made stuff. And he said two words I normally don't follow, let's work. But he'd say, come on, let's go to the garage, we're going to do some work. I never once sat on that couch looking at him going, well, he gave me candy, I better go. If I want candy in the future, I better go now. No, my thought was the little man's up. He's moving, let's go. I wanted to be wherever he was. And he'd be making things, don't touch that, don't do that, sit there, be quiet, horrible things for me, but I wanted to be where he was. And when he said, come on, let's go, I went. Oh, I submitted. Because I couldn't imagine not being where he was when he wanted me with him. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. To be completely committed to him is not just a crying uncle. It's saying, I can't imagine what it would be like without him. In John chapter 13, after Jesus had identified who he was, he said to his disciples, now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you, church, do, oh, that was horrible. I don't know. Can we not read? Let's try this again. (laughs) Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you, he doesn't say agree with them. He doesn't say think about him. Let's do him. So what does this different kingdom commitment look like? Let's be practical. Because when I told you I want to share with you what the Bible says is a blessing coming your way, I I want to do that, but I want you to see that I'm not baiting you. I'm, I'm giving you this incredible opportunity that he's put in front of us. The first thing is that true commitment puts our biblical treasures, or puts our treasures rather, into biblical perspective. Jesus said in Matthew 6, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Choose to submit to God and God gave us treasures. But he says, put this in front of us. He, he, he offered us this opportunity. Understand that the ownership of God is there for us. So he says, if you choose me and you commit yourself to me and you give yourself to me and you can't imagine what it'd be like to live without me, then all of these things that you have fear about, I'm gonna restore to you, I'm gonna bless you with, I'm gonna put them in biblical perspective. Finances are good. Treasures are good. Time is awesome. It's life. None of those are evil within themselves, except when we use them as our gods. Because our possessions are either gods or we use them for our God. Simply what the Bible teaches us. Luke 16, 11 says, If you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Remember, our attitude and response toward others will determine God's response toward us. Jesus said, I'm going to give you opportunities. 
to use your riches instead of letting your riches use you. Second thing true commitment teaches is it protects us against material uh, enslavement. That when things become more powerful than they need to be in our lives. God is not against wealth. Some of the greatest people of faith in all of scripture were financially wealthy for their day. Abraham would have been one of the richest men in the world. But because of faith, he didn't count those things what he was about. He used those things for greater purpose. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, and if you have been with us in this series, you know we've talked about this. Jesus said, you cannot serve two masters. He doesn't say you shouldn't. And he doesn't say, I wish you wouldn't. The one who created us says, you're incapable of trying to serve your riches and your God. You will love the one and you will hate the other. And that's not optional. It's freedom. Now, for those of you who have attended this church long enough, you know that I can become pretty adamant about this one. I'm not better than anybody else, but I have a conviction about this. I am not standing on this stage today telling you that if you give God $10, he will give you $100 back, because I don't believe that that's biblically true. I find nowhere in scripture. I hear preachers who preach about that, but I don't find it biblically. Jesus said, come and die, not come and prosper. So I don't believe you give God 10 bucks, he gives you 100 bucks back. I do believe, however, if God calls you to give financially to the investment of the souls in his kingdom, that he is going to bless you. I don't know if it's financially or peace or restoration. I don't know what it's going to be, but I know this. There are no blessings without obedience. And we have a good God who reaches deep into the candy jar and he pulls out not only your favorites, but he gives you some new flavors you'd never would have tasted if he hadn't. You see, the fear of, uh, freedom of fear of not having enough, the freedom from the fear we have of wasting our resources, I hear this so much and I don't belittle people for saying it because I understand it, but I need to ask you to overcome it. Freedom from fear of giving away too much and later needing it. So many Christians think that if they actually honor God, they will one day regret it. In the home that I was born and raised in up to fourth grade, uh, back before parents loved children, we didn't have a railing on our stairs going upstairs. I never had a bike helmet. In fact, I rode on the front handlebars of my brother's bike with my feet on the, on the spokes. Uh, I, I slept in the back seat of a car window. My parents hated me. And, but they couldn't get rid of me. I lived. And if, in spite of being trying to be funny, we had 12 steps that went up to our upstairs. And my brothers, I would watch them in amazement as they would get to that 10th step. You had to jump off the 10th step because the ceiling was so low. The other two, you, could, you had to crawl under it. And my dad would come home from work and he'd stand in the middle of the foyer with the, with the linoleum cement floor and he would have us jump to him. And, well, he had those two jump to him. I refused. And I remember my two older brothers jumping and my dad helicoptering them and setting them down and them like, you know, gerbils on a wheel. They'd run right back up the steps and jump again. And that's how we greeted my dad when he came home. And I remember I was just this little kid, probably maybe five or six years old, standing. I wanted to jump, but it's a long way. And I'm not sure he really liked me. And, you know, I mean, it could be tragic. And I'd stand on that tenth step. And my toes can, I can prove, my toes can grow 12 to 16 inches. Because I would dig my toenails into the carpet on the stairs. Just 
starting to jump, but not completely jumping and kind of leaning, which is so stupid because if I kept my feet on the stairs, I was going to splat my face right on the cement. But my dad would just trust me. And the one time he kind of stepped toward me, he goes, come on, you can do it. And he started getting closer. And I started going, oh, he's closer. And then I jumped and he did that thing where he stepped back. And I jumped and boom, he caught me. And he spun me around like my brothers. And I was lighter than them. And I almost hit the ceiling. And he set me down. I went right back up the stairs and cut in front of both of them. I'm in absolutely in. What's your fear? Because the only way you'll know God will catch you is to jump. So you have to ask yourself, what do I need freed from when it comes to trusting him? 1 Timothy 16, or 6, verses 17 and 18. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, or listen to this line, church, or to fix their hope in uncertainty of riches. But fix their hope on God, who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good work, and to be generous. This is what we're doing for one another. Verse 19, storing up for themselves a treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Life indeed is found on the other side of abandoned fear, absolute trust. The Bible also teaches me that true commitment strengthens my faith. This is Malachi 3.10. Famous passage. Preachers use it all the time. It's probably the only passage in Malachi that actually gets preached. Because the rest of it is just uniquely a prophecy to a group of people that shows God's faithfulness. But God says, I want you to test me in this. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out to you a blessing that there is no more need... Now, you know, you've heard this. If you've been in a church for any period of time, you know this is the only passage in all of Scripture where God gives you permission to see if he'll keep his word. He says, jump. You say, I don't know if you'll catch me. I don't know if you really like me. You could let me fall as a moral lesson to everybody else. God says, jump. Because when you jump, and I believe that faith is found always on the other side of obedience. When you jump, God says, I'll be there. But what happens if, if I give generously? What if I believe that we need to put Hope City in, and, and allow it to be successful for South Joplin? And what, what if we build that for junior high kids? And what if we do good things in Haiti and Japan and, and Africa and India? What if we do all those good things? And then here I am at the end of it, and I can't, I can't meet my needs or I can't do what I want to do. Ask yourself this question. If you sacrifice for God, will he sacrifice for you? Does the example of Jesus Christ lead you to believe that God's looking for an out? Or do you believe the example of Jesus Christ means God's all in? It really comes down to increasing our faith. True commitment is the proof of my love. 2 Corinthians 8.8 I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. Paul says to this church, I love how you love. And I'm going to say something here, and I know I'm going to go home and regret this all afternoon. But it's, it strikes my heart. The reason my wife and I are committed to the return is not because I work here. It's because when I sat down and analyzed it, when I looked at what we believed God was opening to do, here's the joy I have. I don't benefit from it at all. There's no benefit to me. We build a church in South Joplin, fantastic. We build a center over there. I'll never, I mean, it's, I walk in there and pray in that building. I've walked in there a couple of times and just walk around the building praying that God will do what God wants in that facility. 
I don't know what's going to happen in Haiti or India or Japan. I may never go over there to be, see those works or never be there when the richness of it comes. When I look at the improvements we're doing for safety on this campus to provide safety for our children and everything, eh, my kids are going to be out of that program pretty quick. When I look at all of it, there is nothing I get from that and somehow that makes me happy. Because that's exactly what Jesus did. What he came and gave, he derived no personal benefit from except it was a blessing to somebody else. And it made his God pleased. That's love. I'm the most selfish guy in this room. And some of you are more, no, no, no. I've been me a long time. You may be equal to me, but not worse. I'm selfish at my core. Why all of a sudden do I derive some strange pleasure out of giving and giving and not getting back? Because God's love is changing my core. And it's because God has never abandoned my family. There have been seasons when Heather and I have been very generous. She's always generous. I'm the stopper. And there have been times that we've been selfish. And in the times we've been generous, God has been lavish. And when, when, even when we've been selfish, God has still blessed us. But the blessings are different when we love well and we love unselfishly. Lastly, true commitment makes me more like Jesus. This is why we've asked our church to sacrifice because that's what Jesus did. Philippians 2, 5 through 7. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, held on to. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Jesus gave up the best parts of heaven to put on the worst parts of earth. And he did it so that others would know who he was and others would have the opportunity to be restored to God. You see, when I look at this, and if you'll allow me to, when I see what's going on at Hope City, when I meet people down there that weren't going to church, not just people from Christ Church who went down there and said, we're going to help plant this and serve here, but people who are coming from broken church backgrounds, who didn't know the Lord, who are coming, and they're finding hope in there, I look at that and I say, I'm in. When I see that building going across the parking lot, and I think of the generation of young people, and you know, and I guess, truthfully, my son will be going across that building one day, but I'll never be over there, but there will be people, like some of you, volunteering and reminding my son that what his mom and dad believe in, they believe in too, and in community, age-appropriate teaching, an environment built for them. We're going to have students anywhere from fifth grade all the way through high school kids going in and out of those buildings, realizing that there's more to life than how cool you are, what clothes you wear, and what people think of you. I look at that, and I, man, I see us building a building in Haiti or, or planting churches in Japan, one of the most highly populated areas, unchurched. I, I'm in. When it's safety for our kids on this campus, I'm in. When I look at all of that, I think emptying the treasures I have so that others can know what we have, I think God's got everything figured out. What I really believe is, I think, you know, one day we may never in our lifetime, folks, let's be honest, we may never see the full fruit of our investment in these next few weeks, but God will. And I think God will hear, will hear the laughter of God through the praise of his people. That one day, I know this sounds really cheesy, I'm not embarrassed to say it, one day you and I are going to stand before the throne of God singing songs of worship to Jesus Christ and we're going to stand next to some people from India and Haiti. 
We're going to look around that throne and we're going to see junior high kids who were raised up in this church who went on to become teachers and lawyers and doctors and coaches and parents who raised a generation to know the Lord. And none of us will ever look back and say, I wish I hadn't. Every one of us will look at it and say, God was faithful, wasn't he? God is good. God can be trusted, just like he said he would. Jesus said, as we look to the needs of others, God will be there looking to our needs. And that's what we believe in. So this morning as we sing songs of praise to Jesus, this isn't a fundraiser. This is a faith builder. We've said here in this church for the last few years, we are sitting in the shade of a very healthy church because a generation ahead of us planted seeds of faith that grew. And it's our opportunity to. So as we sing, the tables are up front, in the middle, and toward the back. You can walk up as an act of worship while we sing, or you can wait till you exit the building. It's between you and the Lord. But as we stand and we sing, my challenge to you is if you don't know Jesus Christ as the Savior you've submitted to, then I ask you to go to the two back tables that have lamps on them, and we'll meet you there. Or to meet with us out in the foyer at the prayer center. And just ask the question. No pressure. But we're about the return of Jesus Christ when he sets everything right and all the nations will gather and all the saved will praise. That's why we're here. That's why we're investing. And we pray that you'll join us in that. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.